Rise up! Welcome to Rise Up Radar, where we keep the Falcons on your radar. Thank you for joining me, Stan Parker, for another episode. Let's have a ball and show. Joining me tonight is a good buddy, Todd Brooks. Been a Falcons fan for a long time. Really smart guy. Uh, real, uh, just got a big brain for the Falcons, and uh, we're going to have some good conversations tonight. Todd, welcome to the show, man. How are you going? How you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Stan. Oh, hey, man. The pleasure's all mine. I always, always, always enjoy when someone knows the nuts and bolts, um, like Chris and like you and Zach and the other people around, but I just always just get, whoo, I get the juices flowing, man. I get super excited. So, um, awesome. Yo. Football is a week away, brother. Yes, sir. Can you believe it? Dude, it's like today, what? Today's Thursday. So, I mean, we're literally a day, I mean, a week away. Yeah. And so now whether or not, you know, we'll start. I don't want to get too deep into this, but, you know, whether we finish the season is, is another question itself. But, like, the starting of the season, oh, I can only imagine – like how bonkers and how the the um, how the rating is going to be on the TV. So I'm I'm at, I'm excited um, for the season. So we're going to get into these questions. I got some questions for Todd. We're going to kick it around a little bit, and we're going to um, we're going to get this party started. So my first question to you, Mr. Brooks: What, in your estimation, what has been the biggest surprise of this off season? Okay, well, I hate to harp on this, okay. but, I, but we're going to get thing. <laughs> I do believe that the draft was probably the biggest surprise of the offseason, not because so much that it was a surprise, but more because it was disappointing again to me. Whoa! Okay. I, was, I really was looking to pick up some different players, move some pieces around, um, you know, we really needed help with, um, being able to put pressure on the quarterback. We did not get that in the first round. And I do think that A.J. Terrell was a reach, the guy from Clemson. And I'm going to tell you why he was a reach. Uh-huh. Tell me, Todd. I'm going to tell you. Okay, so I look at, at Clemson. Okay, we've already drafted the Atlanta Falcons. We've already drafted several Clemson players already, and some of them, are, you know, they're hitting us. Grady Jarrett's worked out wonderfully. He's been great. Uh, yeah, I would say so. But then you have Vic Beasley, <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's not working. Right? That's, now, it worked out good for a year. I mean, in 2016, the Falcons were a very good defensive team. He had a record season. But then after that, the wheels started coming off, and now he's gone. Right. So we go back to Clemson again, and we get – what is supposed to be an elite corner, but I feel like he was a reach. He did not perform quite as well in the postseason as you would have liked him to. And this is just my perspective. Okay. When you're up against an elite receiver like uh, Jamar Chase, and you're supposed to be this elite shutdown corner, then you need to shut him down. Okay. And Jamar Chase that day during 
championship game when LSU played Clemson, had 221 yards and two touchdowns. And A.J. Terrell could not stop him. And to me, it looks like that you're pretty much going to have another version of Desmond Trufant on the team. And also not one of my favorite players. Wow. That is that's a strong opinion. And I to play devil's advocate, Todd, if I may, sure. you, you can't judge one game of a player's career for one game. So that's the, that's the argument I, I now and if you look at the and you know if you go back and watch film, he wasn't as burnt crispy as everybody thinks he was burnt crispy. He had two or three like you know pretty glaring uh, times where he were he was burnt. But I mean he was playing. Uh, I feel like he was playing pretty toe to toe with the guy. Uh, by and large, through the, the other like ninety percent of the games or plays, but but I'm just saying you can't judge him on one on one uh, on one game. Sure, so, I can. However, I will say this: Who else did he really go against that was an elite level receiver? Because he did like DC, where competition extremely scarce for a team like Clemson. There's nobody there that can match up with them. And so I just, you know, that was the game where he really needed to perform well, and he did not. Wow. Okay. That is that is a good point of being in the ACC and have not having, uh, like we said, the elite uh, level of – but here's – okay, on the other side of that, obviously you were going against, like, the draft, but, you know, in the – in practices and scrimmages, you know, where the points don't matter and that, you know, the games are made up. But when in, scrim- in scrimmages that he said, they say that he's, he's been running with the ones and he's been, he's been money. So we'll see. Hey, but, I hope I hope he performs much better than I think he will, but I kind of think we're getting another Desmond Trufant. Interesting. And, interesting. Yeah. That scares me a little bit because Desmond Trufant had his moments. For sure. Yeah. 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 But, but one thing about uh, Desmond Trufant is that he often over-pursued the ball. You know, he would give up just a – he would get burned on a touchdown. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that really bothers me. I mean, you look at the stats for Terrell, too. I mean, he he really didn't do a lot as far as interceptions. Nope. Had one interception back in 2017. That was his freshman year. And then in 2018, he had three. In 2019 – he had two. So, I mean, we're not exactly getting an interception machine here. His tackles were okay. He had, he had one 40, um, 40 tackle season in college in 2018. But even last year, as far as solo tackles go, he had 24. And I, obviously the main thing for a corner is not to be tackling. Right. You want to be breaking them up. You want to be intercepting. Yeah. You should bring a bit more. He didn't even score. He scored uh, one touchdown on defense. He brought it back to the house one time for a team like Clemson, who doesn't really play strong competition. I mean, to me, he should be returning it to the house a lot more than that. So, just continuing on in this thought, this is good. We've, we started with the hot fire on the uh, right. first question. I love this. So, continuing on with that thought, going off the rails, where would you have gone right there? At What, what pick was that, 14, 15, something around yeah. there? I mean, in an ideal world, you know, I, I would have liked to maybe have moved up in the draft and get a Derrick Brown. That's who – that's oh, the player. Um, yeah. But 
I just don't know if we really had enough to give in order to get that pick. Anyway, I mean, ideally, you know, if you start off the season one and seven, like the Falcons did last year, you kind of just don't want to get hot at the end of the season and retain your draft position. You could have been in a position to get a much better draft pick. But oftentimes we can't really count on the Falcons to get the pick right anyway. I mean, I'm going to tell you, I mean, just from since Thomas Dimitrov has been the GM of the Falcons, I've never been happy with any of his drafts, really, overall. They've all been kind of disappointing. Now, I think the 2015 draft worked out okay um, for what it was at the time. I and mean, we got Grady Jarrett out of the deal. I mean, um, yeah. Maybe he's at the very beginning, but but not so much at the end. So that was probably his best draft. Was, and then, was that the same draft as Neil, uh, Keanu Neal as, as well? You know, he was the 2016 draft. Okay, 2016 was Keanu Neal and Deion Jones. Yeah, and by the way, I, you know, and, and, and both those picks ended up being pretty good, but Keanu Neal had injury problems. Um, you know, we don't know really if he's going to be 100% himself anymore. He came back out on the field last year and tore the, the ACL again. So, I mean, is he going to be up to par to be able to play? And, and he worked out really well. I still thought he was a reach even when um, Dimitrov picked him. Or if Dan Quinn's pulling the straw. I think more that might be a Dan Quinn pick. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, but I really – hey, man, I don't know. I, I really like that 2016 draft, but by and large. So, I think Thomas Dimitrov gets a lot of heat, but I feel like that for the skill position players, the offensive skill position, I think he picks them well. I think obviously finding Grady in the fifth round was a, was a, was a gem, and uh, he's not really known for that. But, you know, picking – picking skill positions. I think he's done a pretty good job. Now, everybody craps on him for taking Vic Beasley over Todd Gurley. That's the big one that that always come back to, you know. And I, you know, at the time, we needed pass rush, which you still need pass rush. All right, they, here's the deal. They hadn't had a real legit pass rush since the Predator, John Abraham. That's right. It's and been a so, while. It's been that's been a while. I have no clue when's the last. I'm going off the reservation here. I have no clue when's the last time he played for the Falcons. I think 2013 or 14 was the last time he played for the Falcons. Jeez, see that's too long. Remember the the OCU Manure days? Yes. You remember that experiment? Oh wait, no, 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 no. Dwight Freeney made Vic Beasley a Pro Bowler. Yes. Dwight Dwight Freeney, the incumbent, the Hall of Famer one of the best pass rushers of all time. And the twilight twilight of his career suited up with the red and black and uh, made people scared of him so much so that they forgot who Vic Beasley was. And Vic Beasley got to the quarterback 16 and a half times. So he made, you know, that was – he made him better. But, like, I, I legit in the prime pass rush, for sure, the predator, John Abraham. Sure. Um, like talking about that pick, I would have gone. I would have liked to. Have, okay, so okay, back to what you were saying, like trading up to get uh Brown, Derek Brown. I think that I agree with you to a point. You'd have to like you know mortgage your future because he wasn't the only. If they were, you know, Seattle and they were player away, maybe, or not maybe, but for sure. You know, if they're a player away, but they're not a player away. They've got gaps everywhere. They still try to fill gaps. Why you need to, especially in a draft where you don't have that many picks anyway, you need to be able to make the most of your picks. I mean, one thing that's always really bothered me about the Atlanta Falcons, too, 
is that they always will go and reach for some of those players from small conferences. They don't draft very many players from an elite level conference like the SEC, which is why I like the second pick that the Falcons made. Okay, talk about that. Who's that? Marlon Davidson. He's a okay. defensive. I think he is going to have a good career. I think he's going to be the best player that the Falcons drafted. So I that's one of my so like what has been the biggest surprise of this offseason? The biggest one of the I have a couple written down that um, the first one was Marlon Davidson being hurt and not getting any playing time. He's been hurt. I mean, I don't think he's practiced yet, has he? He's got a knee sprain. He hasn't practiced. No, it's, right. so. I, I, it all comes down to it, and he gets some playing time that he's going to have a good career. Yes, uh, that's the key, having a good career. And I think he will be the value pick of this draft. I think he'll be the best player – selected in this draft for the overall career standpoint. But one of my surprises, uh, biggest surprises of the season was uh, the signing of Darquez uh, Denard. I didn't see that coming. Um, they drafted a corner. They've got corners galore. And they went out and got another corner really on the cheap. And um, just looking at his credentials that he's a legit, like, starting slot receipt slot corner and so i think he's going to be really good in this in this system so that was a big surprise for me got him from cincinnati so i don't know exactly can't remember what the stipulations were but and then my my last kind of point of the biggest surprise of this offseason was dante fowler not not just the signing of dante fowler but the the leadership that Dante Fowler has is apparently has been bringing so far that he's working with Tack one on one on drills and Tack's already starting to say that you know I'm learning from him and he's bringing the energy and the being a vocal leader. I did not expect Dante Fowler to come in and be a vocal leader and just take that by the horns and 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 run with it. So I think that's one of my biggest surprises of all seasons for sure. Definitely. So I would agree. Yeah. All right. So, um, so we're going to move on to my next question for you. Yes, sir. Who, who is going to be the most improved player in this, on the squad? What, who do you think is going to take the biggest step in the, this coming 2020 season? Okay. Well, I don't think that the player that's going to take the biggest step is going to be a member of the team from last year. I think you're going to be looking at Todd Gurley taking the biggest step this year. He's going to have to take the biggest step. Man. Um, And just the Falcons running game in general, because last year, I mean, it really can't get any worse, can it? No. No. The three rushing, running the football. And that's not good for a team with a bad defense either. They're going to have to run the football better this year if they're going to have a chance to win over eight games. If they're going to win somewhere between nine and ten games, they have to run the ball. If they want to make the playoffs, I think the ceiling for them is probably 11 wins this year anyway. But if they can run the ball, they have a great shot. Yes, that's the like okay. So then, uh, on on top of that, so like the running of the ball is so complex too. Like for the offensive line play, and and also too, the doggone coaching, brother. Like, Dirk Cutter makes me so nervous. 
He is vanilla as it gets. I mean, that's giving him a lot of credit. Like, vanilla at least has flavor. Like, I don't know what's the flavor of this seasoning you can get, but he scares me of being so predictable and so vanilla. And not, you have Todd Gurley. He's got an, he's an elite talent. He's been a little banged up. He's got a lot of tri- he's got a lot of miles on his tires. But you got to use him in the right packages, and you got to use him. Uh, not necessarily a bell cow anymore, but you got to give, you know, he's a puncher, you know, you got to give him in rhythm. You got to get a feed, you feed the monster. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, Dirk Cutter makes me a little bit nervous too. Now I do think that, you know, he's a guy who likes to spread the ball around. He likes to throw the ball, but he's not a guy who really has ever had the type of offense where he likes to run the ball a lot. Now I remember when he came in as the offensive coordinator for the Falcons the first time, Right. And Mike Turner's this big horse, you know, he's sitting there running the ball around on all the previous years before Cutter got here. And although Cutter improved our offense, Turner's stats started going downhill immediately once Cutter became offensive coordinator. Dude, that is a great point. He's one of my favorite Falcons of all time, by the way, is oh, yeah. uh, Michael the Burner Turner. What's up? Um, so that makes me a little bit nervous anyway, but at the same time, you know, I, I really think that they're going to have to have a balanced game and be able to eat some clock to keep that defense off the field because I'm still not optimistic that, that defense is going to be much improved over last year. They're still going to struggle to win games. So if the running game is there and they can keep that defense off the field, it's a young defense at this point, then hopefully we can generate some wins off of that. Yes, for sure. It's like helping, help, like you said, controlling the clock and there's playing control. I like seeing that more, like definitely to your point, because at the fourth quarter, just like we all have said before, like fourth quarter as your money time, you got to be able to run it. You know, third and one, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. Every cliche you could throw at the fourth quarter needs to happen because you need, if you start getting cute, like we've seen before, if you got it, you know, fourth and goal in the fourth quarter, you got to smash that thing in there, man. Anyway, like just being able to, to be able to run at will whenever the situation calls for a running play is the Falcons hadn't had that. I mean, well, they've had it in the Super Bowl year, running that stretch zone that they ran with Devontae Freeman. Um, but they, but even in short yards situation, he was so undersized that it didn't really. I mean, Ty Gurley's a legit real deal, man. And so. If that knee's okay. If that knee's okay. And so, um, man, yeah, that's, you got me pumped down about Ty Gurley. So, he, you got him pegged as your most improved player. Is obviously from last year to this year, you know. Yes. Falcons. Okay, yeah, he, so, so. He didn't have a good season last year. And, and I, yeah, Ty Gurley's my guy, you know. He played for the – you know, I'm a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. He played for the Georgia Bulldogs – He's probably the second, my second favorite running back that ever played for the Georgia Bulldogs. Herschel would be my number one. Okay, I was going to say, you know, who's your first again? Herschel Walker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody loves Herschel, man. All right, uh, yeah, coming back home, man, and uh, seeing him suit up in twenty-one prime times old number. Um, I'm going to jump the gun here and just give you. Like go off the reservation again, but hey, seeing these uh, uniforms on the scrimmage, you watching that scrimmage like vi- like footage on like they got it on YouTube and stuff. You watching the videos of the scrimmage. What do you think about the uniforms, man? 
Um, I'm not a big fan, but I've never really been a big fan of uniform changes anyway. And I think if you have something that looks good, um, keep it. Personally, my favorite Falcons uniform was the ones that they were wearing during the first Super Bowl run. Like, I like those uniforms. They're very plain, but they make a statement. And I thought after we changed the uniforms about three years after that, three or four years after that season, that uh, they looked awfully, like, uh, collegiate-looking instead of – so um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of these uniforms either, those, these new ones that have come out. Really? I think they look sh- – I like the black. I think the black looks sharp. The white, I'm probably going to have to, like, come around on the all-white. Um, but the black looks sharp with, like, the black. Uh, kind of looks like – and I like their throwback that they do, like the 90s throwback with yeah. the, the red outline of the numbers and stuff. But my favorite, like, you're going back to, like, your favorite time, but, like, I, I loved it when it was with when Tony G was in town and Matt Ryan was, you know, building his repertoire of being Matty Ice. Um, they had red helmets. I like the red helmets. This was my one of my favorite uniforms. Okay, so back to uh, what we were talking about. Oh, most improved player. So mine is kind of going off of what you said as well, but mine's going to be the person in front of in front of Todd Gurley. Mine's going to be Chris Lindstrom. Okay. Right, uh, Chris Lindstrom at right guard, I think it's going to take a big step. And uh, He was hurt a lot of last year. But when he did, when, when he was back into the lineup, um, they their running game improved, I mean, immensely just for him being in there. Just so I think he'll, he'll develop into – I'm not going to call him a pro bowler just yet. You know, I didn't pump the brakes on that, I know. But, like, I think he's going to be a really solid, like, I don't know if he'd make the Pro Bowl next year, but I think I could see him developing into a sturdy, stable Pro Bowl, ca- Pro Bowl caliber right guard, man. I really, I, really like, um, I really like his play style. So that will be my most improved player. Um, I had another question for you. I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, what do you think about Matt Hennessy at left guard? Um, I mean, yeah, I think he's a guy that could probably do okay. Um, you really are going to have, I mean, the big boys up front anyway, that's going to be the real key to the season. If you're going to have a, they're not run blocking well, then it's going to be lights out. You're not going to be able to have a good season. It doesn't matter personal sending back there if they're not blocking people. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely key. So I'm just curious. So like they, they drafted him obviously to be, the heir apparent for um, Alex Mack. And he's probably got – this is probably his last year. Sure it is, And yeah. so, uh, I just thought it was strange that, you know, they drafted, you know, a center a center to play left guard. But, you know, that's kind of – I think it's kind of how the cookie crumbled. And if whoever plays left guard just needs to be the left guard we got on the team. I don't care. Like you, like I said before, it don't matter who it is to me as long as they can lace him up and keep Matt Ryan off his back. So it's hard to throw the ball on your back. So I'm really focused on this year being like the offensive line as a whole being the most improved as well as kind of just like a general, like you were talking about like the running game. And I think that it ties with kind of on the same wavelength without even knowing that, Todd. We're like twins right now. Yeah. Uh, if you I can think- open for Todd Gurley. Yeah, you'll be able to keep your defense off the field. I think so too, because the defense uh, is 
the defensive line maybe has improved at diff. Well, it has improved on paper because of Dante Fowler and what he did last year, but it's still not enough of improvement to make me like any more optimistic, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like to be really, really optimistic about it. Now the secondary, I'm more bullish than you are on the secondary. I think the secondary is going to be the strength of the defense. So uh, I hope you're right about that, but I don't know. <laughs> listen, I think, I think, listen, yeah, that's a little bit of a hot take that I'm sitting on Island probably by myself, but I think the secondary, including the safeties is going to be the strength of this defense. So we'll see because of the versatility, because Keanu, they have three starting safeties. They have DeMonte Casey, Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen. They could go anywhere and start in the NFL. Well, but, how do you, about Keanu Neal's health at this point. Okay, so this point, me personally, yeah. um, he's got about one more of those season injury, ending injuries to being like, you know what, we probably not going to pick up that fifth-year option. And so, right. as, but, I mean, on the field, you can't argue with he's a game-changer. Man, they look back in that backfield and they say, uh-uh, we don't know no part of that. But if he can't stay on the field, you got to move on. You know, like, and I'm – I sound so callous when I talk about this kind of stuff because Keanu Neal is obviously a fan favorite and everybody loves him. But, I mean, you got to be able to be on the field. That's, you know, same thing with Ricardo Allen, I think. But, I mean, I think less so much with Ricardo Allen, excuse me. But um, uh, with Keanu Neal, like you said, just the injury thing. Um, he was a pro bowler once, twice, once? Once, I believe. Once. He – I mean, he uh, he's really only played two full seasons. Right. And he was he got hurt in the first game of 2018, and he got hurt, what, the first or second game last year, too. Yeah, so, real early. I mean, he hasn't played many snaps the last two years. Yeah, but he's a difference maker. I, you know, that's the argument everybody's like, but when he's healthy – oh, but when he's right, he's good. Or when he – you know, so I like – it's a real glaring, like – I'm glad they found DeMonte KZ. He's a fifth-round, sixth-round guy. He was late in the draft. San Diego State, I believe. One of those small-town schools you're talking about. I don't know. If yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, I, here's – here. I'm not saying you can't, get, you can't get good pieces from the small-town schools, but I feel like more often than not, that's where the Falcons are often looking. They're not always looking – like, they just don't recruit – like, okay, Stan, let me ask you a question. Hit me. At, uh, collegially, which conference produces the best players in the NFL traditionally? Uh, is this a trick question or is this, like, chalk here? Yeah, you're going to answer it. <laughs> oh, I think uh, – I, I mean, I'm going to go SEC because I'm a homer. Mm -hmm. and, and you would be correct. And uh, the Falcons don't draft very many players from the SEC at all. They don't fact, draft so many people from Georgia. Remember, Miko Hardman was sitting there one year, and it was like, I, it was something. No, it might not have been Miko, but it was somebody sitting there from Georgia, other than Todd Gurley. And it was like, really? You? Yeah, there have been so many times where offensive lineman, I think, take a guy from the Georgia Bulldogs. I can remember the like the one that I really wanted to be an Atlanta Falcon the most was in 1998 when Heinz Ward was available. And they could have had Heinz Ward, too. But they decided to draft Jamie German. <laughs> and that did not work. He was a wide receiver. 
and he played for Miami, but he flamed out in no time. And guess what? Heinz Ward is he did pretty. He did pretty okay for himself. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, another one I think was who else was on the board? Oh, I think was Roquan Smith on the board? No, maybe not. It was no, I don't think so. That because he that was, he was there's like with the fifth pick, eight, fourth yeah, pick. yeah, crazy. Yeah, they don't for whatever reason they just don't like drafting the Falcons. I think it's probably probably in their war zones, like oh man, or he they don't like drafting the Georgia players. No, and that would help with their fan base too because a lot of uh. Falcons fans are also Georgia fans. They'd love to see some Georgia guys out there in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so we've we've uh, so we've established we kind of on the same accord there. Uh, on the most improved player would probably be the offensive line slash running game because they're like hand in hand. And so now number uh, the next question I'm going to ask you. Week one, which is in, uh, in like. Week and a half, game one, September 13th, at home, I guess the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Chunky Bafunky, Russ Wilson, and everybody else that they're signing. How do the Falcons pull a W? How do they eat a W out of that? Well, you know right off the top of your head, you know that Matt Ryan's probably going to show up. You know that Julio Jones is going to show up. So that just leaves – it would be Falcons running game. Are they going to show up? Is the offensive line going to run block? Are they going to show up? If they do, they're going to walk away with the win. I mean, last year, Seattle was not very good against the run. They were ranked 22nd in the whole league against the run. Um, so you should have some opportunities to run the ball there. And if you get that, you'll come away with the W. But if you can't and you can't keep the defense off the field, then Russell Wilson will eat you alive. I think a big part of like, and I don't have any statistical proof of this. I can't even tell, but it always seems in the last couple of years that the it the Falcons don't have the ball in their hand the last minute, and like so the last minute the other team has the ball and it's like, okay, now you have to stop them. Drew Brees is going to march. All they need is you know they need a touchdown to win this thing. Now you know you got to. I, so I feel like with always with like Russell Wilson, maybe not Russell Wilson in particular, because I think they do have a pretty good record against the Seattle Seahawks just in general. I think I don't know if that's a Dan Quinn thing or what. Uh, people like read into that, but I think they match up well recently against the Seahawks. But it Russell Wilson is one of those ones that just scare the crap out of you. Just you know, late in games, you're like, man, he just is a scary person. So. Um, I agree. The thing the Falcons are going to have to avoid this year is getting into shootouts with teams. Because one thing we know about the Falcons, they can score. It's just a matter of how are they going to score. Are they going to score more through the air, which they've done the past two or three years? Or is the running game going to actually contribute there at all? And they need that contribution from the running game because if you're just going to pass all over the field the whole game, you're going to get into shootouts with everybody because all these other offenses are elite. They have guys that can play. And I'm on the same page with you. The Falcons always seem like that they lose that toss in overtime or they don't have the ball late in the game. And then somebody like Drew Brees, somebody like Russell Wilson, they're at the end of the day. And, and you just, you know, that's 50, 50 ball. You only have a 50% chance to win. If you get in the shootouts every single game, it's the luck of the draw. So yeah. you're going to be 
get some production from your running game and hope for the best on defense. And I hope you're right. I hope those corners do end up being one of the best parts of the team. I'm hoping we can get some contribution from the defensive line, um, maybe these new linebackers that are coming in. But we'll see. Yeah, for sure. All right, so your answer is exact same is my answer, which is I feel like it's a pretty standard answer. It's not a, like a revolutionary question either. But how did the Seahawks beat – how did the Falcons beat the Seahawks? Pass rush and run the dang ball. Like yes. run not because, oh, it's a running down, turn around and hand it to Todd Gurley. No, run the ball as a weapon. You want you know, stay ahead of the chains, move the ball, control the clock, actually punch it in from, you know – 10 yards out instead of waiting until we get on the six inch line and we're going to scrum for, uh, they don't ever do good with that either. You know, they don't, they don't exactly have any road graders up front that you could, you know, run behind. But so I think the pass rush is what really scares me the most. So the surprising, okay. So back to the first question, what was, what was the biggest surprise of the off season? The signing of Darquez Denard was the biggest surprise because I thought they were going to use – they had uh, 11 million, 12 million, somewhere around there. They still had to pay the rookies. So it was enough to get like a veteran men, like pass rusher specialist. I thought for sure they were going to go after Clay Matthews or um, what it kind of kicked the tires on an old pass rusher and or – package something, you know, figure out, move some money around to try to get Emerson Griffin. Um, but those were made too much sense, I guess, for Thomas Dimitrov. So he went slot corner from Cincinnati. So they used the money. So that was one of my biggest surprises. Like, I forgot about that part. But one of my biggest surprises was not adding another pass rusher. So the pass rush, I mean, it's just – it's got to be better. Dante Fowler's got to – uh, he's got to add his – they both have to be in double digit. Dante Fowler and Tack McKinley have to be in double-digit uh, sacks. So that's 20 there. And if you get a couple from Grady, get five from Grady, or that's a good year, you know, I guess. Five, you know, 25. So, like, if you can get to the 40, 40 sacks in a season, 45 sacks in a season, now we're, t- now we're cooking. Now it's a weapon. And now we can, you know, really clamp down and out, you know, not not win a game 48 to 45, uh, you know, because that's obviously, like you just said, that's not sustainable. So run the ball, pass rush. That's pretty simple to say out loud. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Rise Up Radar. Go ahead and jump over to part two of this interview for the rest of our conversation with uh, Todd Brooks. And uh, until next time, rise up. Testing one, two. Testing one, two. Carol, say something for us. Testing one, two. Testing one, two, three. Why don't you tell us a joke? Knock, knock. Who's there? Scary bear. Scary bear. <laughs> <laughs>